Welcome to Recover Your Soul. My name is Rachel Harrison, and this is a podcast offering inspiration, strength, and hope through the tools of recovery, spirituality, and positive psychology. I started RecoverYourSoul.net after having profound, positive changes in my life in my recovery from alcoholism and control addiction. I was guided to share these tools with others through this podcast, as well as offering personal coaching. Personal recovery does not need an addiction to use the tools and principles to better our lives and transform just the desire to do the work and make the changes in our lives. I'm on the path to becoming an ordained minister as I continue to study and deepen my relationship with the spiritual principles that have brought me a life of peace, happiness, connection, and abundance. I know that together we can do the work that will recover our souls. I am sitting here with my husband, Rich. We're having our morning coffee and I've asked him to sit with me again for the podcast and be an interview for me to ask a few more questions about his soul recovery. Good morning, Rich. Good morning. Good morning. We're, we're sipping our coffee. We are here in Colorado. It's supposed to snow anywhere from one to five feet or something in the next <laughs> three days. Indeed. So we're um, preparing for that. So... Rich and I have been together for 28 years and blissful, not always blissful, but blissful now. True. Yeah. Challenging to the point of blissful, maybe challenging. And then through it all, now we're blissful, but I want to hear a little bit about your journey and about this is Recover Your Soul, which doesn't always have to be about recovery from addiction, but um, that's our story. That's how we got to the other side. That's how we found the recovery tools. So tell us a little bit about your sort of how it all started for you. Yeah, that's it's uh, the timing is good because for whatever reason, in the last couple of months, I think the awareness um, and reflection back to my early life, I guess, and my youth and where it all came from and what I was doing was on my mind. So obviously it's a long story, but to summarize a bit, I, in retrospect, for sure, with, with um, my, my recovery, I was able to see that growing up in, a pretty special hotspot, if you will, right in the west side of Los Angeles on the beach, um, near the beach at first, and then almost on the beach in the Pacific Palisades. In the early 70s, in the 70s, uh, yeah. Well, let's say later 70s, um, because that's a cool time point where I, I was presented with surfing, got my first lesson and my first surfboard in around 78 or 79. And we were very young, and yet the whole concept of party hard and discover sex was already there. Yeah, I think you said you were, you started actually partying when you were 12 ish. Yeah. And then having sex by 13, 14. By later, two, 
<laughs> personal info, putting it out there, but two separate girls uh, got me in into bed in my 13th year. That's that's insane. So it, it speaks to how racy the females were um, in my in in my area. <laughs> um, and so for you, for like when that started out, you know, most of us, it works for us. It's fun. It's it's exciting. It, and it makes the situation feel better. Did you feel like it helped you to fit in more or did you like how it physically felt for you? I think all of the above. And um, my 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 looking back on my life was I was yeah, I was always reaching for the excitement and the next cool thing and the, the acceptance and the cool, you know, cool factor, cool factor across the board. But, uh, I, for some, I just think that it's, it's a common time for young people to be like, wow, I'm going to grow up and there's a big world out, world out there and this is exciting and that's exciting. But being in, in West LA, Santa Monica beach, you know, it, it, maybe it's not any more than the rest of the country, but boy, I have heard people say, you know, oh, you grew up in Los Angeles like that. Yeah, that's growing up really fast. Mm-hmm. So then the next thing that happens is, not to implicate my parents or anything, but they were ha- happy to hand me drinks when I was about 14, 15, 16. Mm-hmm. And it just became... That's how you connect it. You know, you, you drink and you get the warm fuzzy throughout your body. And when you when you start that early, it would seem, I'm no expert, but it, for me it would seem that my brain uh, related that to being safe, comfortable, loved, um, in the right place, mm-hmm. at the right time, whether it's drinking with my parents or drinking with my friends. Right. You just feel like, hey, man, we're, we're doing it, mm-hmm. you know, and this is so fun and and of course, it's it, obviously when we look around at all the alcoholics and addicts, um, it's obvious how easy it is to to like it right. and get hooked. Right. And I know I've said this before in the podcast, but that my awareness in my addiction was that I picked every single major boyfriend that I had were alcoholics mm-hmm. and that I one of the reasons that you were desirable to me was because you partied like I did. Same. You know? I was attracted to you because you partied. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Funny little detail, at least it's funny to me, is that there I am about 12, 13, or 14, and the very first Cheech and Chong up in smoke movie oh. comes out. Mm. It was a cultural icon of a comedy that my whole group, my, my whole young community, just, we were starting to experiment with weed. And man, when that, we saw that movie, we just were like, oh, yeah. yeah. We still <laughs> quote that movie. <laughs> still. Yeah. Still to this day, it makes me laugh deep in my soul in a, in a very cheerful and happy way. And yet after realizing I didn't want anything to do with weed anymore and then having children and tried like heck to keep my own kids off of off a pot saying that I'm a hypocrite but I'm but I want to be honest with you guys that if I could go back I would not do it over so when did when did the shift start to happen for you I know that in smoking pot you had um 
some like just not great experiences early on in our being together. So what was the things that started to happen for you that moved from that idyllic California lifestyle of like, bring it on. There's never too much to, um, to an awareness that your life was becoming unmanageable. Oh, when you first, that it took you about what, about 10 seconds to ask that question. And in that 10 seconds, (laughs) I was like tensing up, like, or almost like, Oh, you know, crap. How, how do I answer that? Because it's not very straightforward. And it took a long time Mm -hmm. because it's that, it's that classic uh, relapse. It's like, ah, maybe I'll have like one hit, you know? Well, and here we are talking about marijuana and, and really my, my main issue is, is alcohol. But the, the, but, but what I, what I just mentioned is very real where it, you know, Oh, you you want some and you, okay, maybe one. Mm -hmm. And then I would take that one. And just, it would take all of my vitality and all of my presence and all of my, mm, I can smell the air and I can taste the rain, whatever, and just drop it. Right. Numb it out. Uh, it, well, and it's worse than numbing. I mean, I, I would get to almost tongue tied off of one hit where mm. it, I just wasn't myself. I mm-hmm. could I could see that I'm not the type of person that can function on weed. Right. <laughs> So that was for weed, but I know for alcohol, for us, it took a long time. And I think it's a good time to tell the story. We went to counseling when I was pregnant with our first son. So gosh, that was in 90, he was born in 96. So we were just kind of trying to preemptively work out any issues. And she told us that our issue was that we were alcoholics and we both were just shocked as we could be. It was like the biggest double scoff in all of history. <laughs> we we were sitting there asking for for guidance. You know, uh, we were pretty okay going in there. Yeah. We and just, when she said that, it was a double scoff. It was just. <laughs> <laughs> she has no idea what she's talking about. Oh my god! That was we both just looked at each other like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then proceeded to go home and have things accelerate and get worse. Right between us. Right. And another thing that popped into my head was, you know, my family, I mentioned my family, just it's how when we got together, we drank, period. We ate and drank and laughed and loved. And fought. And what? And fought. I thought you said pot. No no pot. (laughs) No pot. But yeah, there was certainly there was hot tempers. Now we can sort of flash forward a little bit, I guess, (laughs) because my whole life story would take much time. But uh, my brother and I would hang out and connect. And actually, I mean, this is, this is a hard one to say, but I would just say that he told me, and this was only about a couple of years back. He said that one of his favorite, absolute favorite things to do in life was just to sit and drink with me. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's, that's that hard one. That's, I, I just, for me, I think that's so common. That's such the common thread to all of us, all the brothers and sisters out there that are, addicted to alcohol that it's, it's a community addiction uh, in a way. And, um, it was hard to hear him say that because he still wants it and I won't give it to him. Mm -hmm. We're hot and heavy and drinking. We have kids. We luckily, you know, I was smart enough to not drink while I was pregnant or nursing. We started doing like 
the, like it says in the big books where you say, oh, I'm going to, I'm only going to drink beer or I'm going to only drink on the weekends. And so for you, when you started doing that, what was that like for you? And what was your marker for that? The mark, the mark, the marks would be low. The marks would be a D (laughs) (laughs) D minus because I'm pretty classically, well, there's a range in there, but no, actually to rethink that I like, I would struggle to not have a little bit every day. Um, I'm not the kind that would just jam, get started and then go blotto. That wasn't me. I'd get to a point where I was like, thoroughly buzzed and I'd be like, cool. I'm that would be the airplane bringing my glider up to the top mm-hmm. of the wind. And then I would just fly, you know, right. but I wanted that day in and day out. And for me, um, marrying you and, and having children, I unwittingly entered a, um, a, my brain naturally went into survive and provide mode. Mm-hmm. So I, I became a workaholic and, uh, I had a, a cool thing. I had my own niche that I was developing as a builder. And so it was a healthy avenue and a, ha- a healthy thing to do. But because life is so expensive and, and raising kids and everything, I was, you know, as you know, I worked 10, 12, 14 hours a day and then came home. And the first thing I wanted was a nice tall drink mm-hmm. and a couple of them. So when does it, so I'm going to ask you again, because you didn't answer my actual question. Oh, bummer. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, when did it stop working for you? What were your markers that were saying, when like, stop this is not working for me. I'm not getting the results that I want. Because everybody has. Well, has- I'm going to say it again. I, I, I got scared when you asked the question, and it, that is so hard for me to answer. Because of all the times I've, that we've, I guess I'm. I mean, I'm not answering your question by talking more about the relapses and the going back. And, and but what this, made and you want to quit or try attempt to quit each time in the first place? I think just the common sense of it all. But the alcoholic wasn't able to to meet what my mind was saying. Hey, this would be a good idea. Did you feel and checked out? Were you frustrated? Did it make you? I mean, I know in the last in in our last sobriety it was about sleep you know and it was about sort of how you felt with your health well before that it was our marriage mm. so uh maybe there you go you just got me there that i guess here i here, here you're asking me this and maybe i i find it easy to deflect and can't quite figure out how to answer when it's just me and but when it was us and you being, and <laughs> it's true, being the most important thing in my life, it was the chance of keeping us together and not only maintaining a marriage, but having a great marriage that I think was my final motivation and the final where I was able to uh, to succeed. I shared in the last episode that it was like we would go to a restaurant and we would start having the margaritas and it started well. And then it would almost never end well. It would never end well, you know, and I think that was the piece for us that was our relationship and our communication was that we 
we wanted to bond over the drinking and that the first couple did that and then very quickly and then pretty quickly we got like smoke like, like we got genie smoke like we got snippy yeah. i got snippy well got, and there was a context there we always fought over the kids we always fought over I the mean, kids i mean we could not jettison that topic right i remember that feeling could not stop talking about the kids which was really fighting yeah so then we've been going to Columbine Spiritual Center, this Unity Church, for, um, for since the kids were little. Did you feel like, I mean, that you had a connection with spirit then? I mean, you came into our relationship, a Christian, having been going to like an evangelical church. Do you feel like you had kept that relationship with Jesus and with your connection with your higher power? Do you feel like there was a place when it was lost? Do you feel like you've come back to it as part of your recovery process? I would say no. I would say that I have this base spirituality and this base connection with Jesus. And the only thing that's changed is my Jesus has become more of a of a universal God. I pray more to God. And I think, unfortunately, it's because of all the, it's hard to say this in one sentence, but where Christianity has gone and where the whole, you know, blood on the cross and Jesus and the politics and the weirdness Mm -hmm. has, I guess, kind of redefined just a a deep relationship with God. Um, But, no, it's always been pretty consistent for me. When I actually finally did do the program, it got even more distilled and focused as as a higher power that I needed to relinquish control to. Mm-hmm. And that totally works. You know, we both know that. Um, but I definitely, that being said, I do ebb and flow out of my connection and... I pray I pray semi consistently, but there's times when it's when it's deeper and more focused and you know, it ebbs and flows. So from so in soul recovery, my goal is to give people tools and awarenesses of what it was like before. And it wasn't always I think one of the things I think about is that you can't always say that it was horrible, you know, there was these there were times when for me with drinking was super fun, you know, it didn't always stay fun the whole night, but I can remember, (laughs) I can remember grasps of fun or that, you know, that that worked. And then something happens that, that wants it to be different. And for you, when we recovered, went into recovery three years ago, I've said before, I was actually still really in the depths of my alcoholism and was not ready to quit. And you were the one who was, who had actually started having sobriety and was feeling like you couldn't sleep, that you weren't, you, your mind wasn't well, that you couldn't remember. My, my, my physical athletic body, I was in tune to being an athlete or an alcoholic Mm -hmm. and I made a choice. One area that we skipped over is the very first impulse 
to control my drinking was for our children when they were young, mm -hmm. and we did that together. So to go back for a second, mm -hmm. that was that was the first um, in my mind mm -hmm. <laughs> right idea that I didn't fully succeed at. Right, and neither one of us did. Um, and we we tried since then, right? Which so we could say ninety seven, eight, nine. And early in the twos, when we're parting our butts off, at, we're simultaneously saying, geez, we should get this under control. And it's taken all this time. Yeah. That's why I can't answer, couldn't answer the question right. in a way. It's, it, man, has it been a journey. So, and it's, and it's during our children's lifetimes that I think that occurred. So we're talking about 22 and 25 now. So it's been a almost 25 year journey. To, yeah. to to recover. And the millions of times that we said this in our other episode, the, the number of pictures that we have of us holding up our last drink that, of course, wasn't our last drink. <laughs> but, um, and so three years ago, we make this change. And what was different this time for you that, that has made it so that, because I feel like you and I both talk about how our minds have made a switch from the freedom of the addiction versus the I can't or, or the freedom of sobriety. Yeah. It just the, the, it finally flopped. It was like this, this, uh, stubborn flat halibut fish with two eyes on one side of its body <laughs> <laughs> and the eyes were down, right? It was not and, doing well. Um, that fish just finally flopped. And, um, the first thing that popped into my mind was a little bit of age and wisdom. Mm -hmm. I just, came of age uh, and I started saying to people, you just can't do this forever, you know, um, unless you want to be sick and delirious, you know, in your fifties. And we haven't, uh, we haven't mentioned that you are an athlete. You're an, ex you're an extreme sports, um, uh, board sports athlete. And, you know, all these years I've been with you, you're either surfing, um, in the early days we did snowboarding, um, you've been doing stand-up paddleboarding on rivers, um, extreme like whitewater stand-up paddleboarding. It's it's so, hard enough. It's hard enough mm -hmm. to keep going as age starts to work against you. Right. And I think that made my choice e easier and clearer. Um, but but yeah, it was the, it was it was all through those forties, right? Yeah, it was the whole my whole decade in, in of forty of the struggle of am I doing this or not? Right. And um, it took me until 50, which is why when I go out there and sort of start preaching or, or trying to just coach my own kids, I'm like, look, you can, you can just take me as a perfect example. Do you want to excel in, your, excel in your 20s and not completely waste them to party? And I don't know. It's, it, I just I tried to you – can't, you can't go back and tell anybody. They, but you have regret. I mean, I've heard you say that yeah. you you have regret that you wonder what your life would have been like had had this alcoholism been a more sober. Yeah, had not been a con a daily part. Well, and we started this. You know, this feels this this interview has felt like it's been kind of all over the place, and yet here we are finally full circle where we started out in this way back. You know, for me and. That's my realization is I have spent my entire life, entire life up until maybe, you know, I almost, we almost got sober eight years ago and then went back out. Mm -hmm. But so 
you know, 40 years of total modified brain. I don't, you know, you can say it a million ways of, of total partying, of drinking every day, of that being almost more important than anything else. And if you look at that, for me, if I look at it like that, I'm like, wow, that's like matrix. That's like, okay, here's, here's the one path. And what would the other path been? Not like, oh, sh- should have, and oh, I'm so regretful, but only that subtlety of just a little less um, tranquilized and a little clearer and a little more focused. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, who wouldn't be curious right. about, about that? Yeah, because you're this super creative builder maker person. Thank, thank God. Thank God. I still had such a great life. I look back with so much gratitude and feeling so lucky. I'm just so lucky. Um, I got that thing and be a good thing to say in this, that it was in a, in a middle zone where I wasn't a total alcoholic yet, but of course I was partying. I was, I was 24 ish, 23, 24. And what was missing in my life was, a, a thing, a niche. Um, and I, and I'm sitting having a, a, a latte with a good friend who had found his, his calling. Mm-hmm. And I was so envious. I was just sitting there in complete pure envy of him and some others I knew that just had their thing. And I, and I prayed, I, I'll never forget. It. I always get a little emotional mm-hmm. in every, every interview. I was like, God, just please give me something. And funny thing is, is you're supposed to be a little more focused when you pray, <laughs> know what you want. I just, God, please give me something to do that I love. And, and I was, you know, inferring to him in the years to come and in my life as, as a whole. And he gave me this thing that I got, which was, I got to use my design education, but I started building and, uh, and my, my career track has been insanely rewarding, but I had to fight for it. Yeah. Yeah. You have had to fight for it. And you've been an incredible provider for us all these years. So what would you say is the that thing that has gone from sort of the crunchy good, but always this undercurrent of of our whatever it was in our lives to where we are now three years later, where you are now three years later, not just in our relationship, but I see it in your work. I see it in your interaction with other people. I see a, a different element of you that shows up that is this mind that is clear. I'm, I've, I'm sitting here with the answer as you're, as you're asking it. Good. Tell me the answer. Letting go of control, mm. which I hear in your talks all the time as a theme. It's such a huge one. Um, I can still be very meticulous and like I've got recently, I've gotten more into graphic arts and it takes forever to make that shit right. And sorry, you can say shit. It's okay. (laughs) This is not (laughs) curse all you uh, want. And well, holy hell then. (laughs) Um, I can still, I can still, I can almost more deeper in a deeper fashion be the whatever perfectionist I want to be and, and put my energy into all these, all these things and yet let go of control of outcomes, not only in that and those inert things, but especially 
with people mm. and my kids. And mm-hmm. I don't think I could have, uh, I got to give a shout out to our, our hostess here, uh, Rachel, my wife, because I don't think I could have done it without you. Mm. Was, we had the, the gift of teamwork mm-hmm. and the gift, the gift of budding heads so hard as parents that we almost couldn't make it through that challenge. But what I'm learning in my mid fifties here is it's, it's the failures and it's cliche. You hear it all over the place, but it's so true. It's the failures that teach you. It's stop looking at me like that. (laughs) You're just so sweet and cute. She's making me cry. (laughs) So just by looking at me, but, um, and so when you fail, let go. Even when I succeed, I try not to be too at, at, attached to mm-hmm. that. Atta- it's, it's, it's a looser attachment. It's, it's a consistent daily, like, let it flow, which means less control. But you can still be in there doing the, the best job you possibly can. Right. And that's when my life changed too was um i was having some success not drinking but i was having less success not controlling and getting upset and i'll say it pissed off when people i felt were either not reliable or or not being professional or just generally lame and i wanted something and i couldn't get it because of them right you know and when we learned to just you just okay it's another you know Detour, obstacle, issue, problem. How can I fix it? Right. How can I do it? Oh my God, what a freaking, what a, can you say existential change? <laughs> when Marie, Marie, uh, who was in one of my earlier interviews, um, she did a bunch of coaching with us early in our recovery. And she had a saying that was, if I'm not the solution, there is no problem. Wasn't that what it was? That's almost it. It was something like that. Um, but just that you're, you're the solution, that there couldn't be problems out there. If you see them as a problem, you have to bring your own self to be the solution, that it correct. isn't going to happen from the outside. And yeah. so that's what I've witnessed in you is, and for both of us, is we, I think the letting go of control has brought so much peace. And it's allowed for the space for the for the higher power to do the work instead of us thinking we know how to make it. And in my case, prosperity ever since we've turned this corner. And I think that's a key. Like I mentioned my business, I've, I've made so much more. You can just say money, but I've cultivated and sown so much more success and profit because of that. It's not, it's, it's extraordinary. The flow. Yep. To letting the flow happen. And you have to be willing to spend too. Right. You don't, you don't just gather right. to un, unto yourself. Right. Um, like Daffy Duck being a hobby welther. <laughs> <laughs> don't be Daffy Duck. Uh, but, and, and we even had the financial coaches say inflow and outflow. It's an, it's a, it's a motor. Mm-hmm. It's an engine. It has to circulate and flow. And I've let that happen, and we have uh, we have increased our savings. There, therefore, we have. And I sometimes joke it's because we don't have the kids living with us, which is partially true. Well, but actually, <laughs> the, the the bigger picture is really 
the growth and change in our lives all the way around. It's like every aspect has opened up the connection that we have for each other. I would say is as good or better than it was when we first met and first got married, you know, of our relationship. And that's beautiful because it wasn't always like that. You know, you know, the only thing that's missing is for COVID to go away and for us to be around a whole lot more, more people. However, COVID was an absolute gift to me in the sense that it gave me time with you. Yeah. That I, I, my life was so insanely busy every single night that I, I didn't have time with you. And I remember that it's given me time (laughs) with you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. So do you have any last words of wisdom, Richard? Everybody parties when they're young, but you got to, you don't have to, but at some point you will likely give it up. So give that a thought. Let go of that total control of, of every moment and whatever, what everybody else is doing and maybe just take control of what you can do and, uh, be kind to yourself and love, but also receive love from all those around you and receive help. And uh, recovery is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. Thanks for being my my person this morning because you're, you're my person and I love hearing your stories. I actually learned some new things about you today. Ah, that's good. Thank you so much. Until next time, namaste. Thank you for listening. I hope this episode offered you tools, guidance, and inspiration on your journey to recover your soul. For more information, please visit the website, recoveryoursoul.net, where you can find out more about Rachel, book coaching sessions, read the blog, listen to music, connect to social media, as well as subscribe to receive updates. We hope that you will follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become part of our transformation community. If you'd like to support the production of this podcast, we'd love for you to visit the website and donate on the homepage. Thank you. The Recover Your Soul podcast and its content is for educational purposes only and is not allied or representative of any organizations or religions. It's based on the opinions and experience of Reverend Rachel Harrison. Recover Your Soul claims no responsibility to any persons or entity for any liability, loss, damage, or cause alleged to be caused directly or indirectly as a result of its use. Applications or interpretations of the information represented herein. Take what you need and leave the rest.